We are back in our study in 2 Corinthians, and uh, I, I love this. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians for quite a while, other than when we kind of step out of 2 Corinthians for special events like uh, Lent. We're going to go off of Corinthians for Lent, but, uh, but we'll be here for a while. It is a rich book with lots of stuff in it, and uh, I'm excited about continuing our study in that today. Um, you remember last week, Paul was talking to us about this idea of how um, the importance of repentance, forgiveness, and restoration is in our life, in relationships, and within the church especially. And, and, and we had this discussion about, about how God works in that. And Paul was modeling for them this idea of, of forgiveness and, and restoration uh, to someone who had actually caused him quite a bit of grief and 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 that and grief in the church as well and that stuff happens I don't know if you've ever been a part of that either recipient or the instigator of that <clears throat> you know who you are but you know it it does you know those things happen and Paul is modeling for us to say you know what we are one body we are one church we're we're in this together and and there is this process of uh, hopefully repentance and forgiveness and restoration in that process and so he's, he was talking about that stuff. And, and, and part of the problem came up that he was trying to still explain why, why, what, why didn't, I didn't show up. That's what they were all upset about. Uh, you, you told us you'd come back and you didn't. And now we're, we have these people talking about you and uh, thinking, you know, you maybe aren't who you said you were and all that kind of stuff like that. And Paul, last week, we, he began that explanation of saying to them, I didn't come because there was some healing that needed to take place. And, and today he kind of continues that process. He, he is in this passage of scripture and he, and he begins to tell them, uh, well, you know what really happened as well as I was in this travel and I was headed here and there and, you know, and, and before he hardly even gets started in that explanation, he gets sidetracked one more time and he gets sidetracked into this conversation about what is ministry all about? What, what does this really look like? And, and, and he's going to spend about, you know, four chapters all the way until uh, chapter 7, verse 5. He's going to spend a little sidetrack in all those chapters talking about what it is to do ministry. What does this stuff look like that we are all about? And, and so that's what he does in this process. And so, well, you'll kind of get the idea. Let me, let me read the passage for you and, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Uh, it begins in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. And this is what it says. It says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus. So he's on this journey trying to find Titus. And so, so he said goodbye to them, and he went on to Macedonia, which is pretty amazing because Paul is one of those guys who are like, wow, if somebody wants to listen to the gospel, I'm going to hang here until we get this all straightened out and all that kind of stuff. But he, he couldn't, and he, and he said, i got to find Titus. And he went on, and he went on to Macedonia. And then he starts into this word, and in verse 14, he begins this kind of sidetrack thing. And he said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? And Paul begins this, this journey and he, and he makes reference to this idea 
of this processional. He's saying, wherever you go, whatever you do, whether in Corinth or Macedonia or, or wherever at, God is always leading them in triumphal procession in Christ Jesus. And, and Paul is making this reference to the triumphal processionals of the Roman Empire. They had this about a 400-year period, and Paul is right in the middle of that 400-year period, when it was a big deal in Roman culture to have these huge processions. I mean, they were monster things. I mean, think of, you know, Rose Bowl Parade. Think of the Thanksgiving Day Parade, Macy's Parade. I mean, just think of all those parades, only much bigger and much more elaborate. If you're, you're probably not old enough, but maybe you've seen pictures of the after World War II and they came back and they had the parades in New York and all that kind of stuff. It was huge and confetti everywhere. And it's Roman processionals were huge, monster kinds of things. In fact, they had a very specific way they did this. They, they entered the city through a very specific gate. They had a route that they always traversed through the city. A lot of everybody see them, went all the way up to the hill and ended up at the temple and they, they offered sacrifices of celebration at the temple heights. And there was an order that people marched in. It was kind of interesting. It started out with the senators. I'm not quite certain why the senators went first, but the senators went. I looked this up. You know, it's like um, I don't know this stuff. But uh, the the senators went first, and behind the senators came the trumpet players. You know, everybody needs a you know some some noise going on. And behind the trumpet players came loads, carts and carts and carts of treasure, captured treasure that they had taken. Things that they had dispossessed, whatever people they had conquered, because this was, you know, they go out and have this Bible, Bible conquer somebody and they bring every stuff back. And so they have these carts and carts of all the treasure that had been accumulated. And behind that, they had more musicians, more musicians that would come and play and, and do all their stuff that they had behind that. Behind the musicians came the white bulls and oxen for the sacrifice. There was a set thing and they were always white and all this kind of stuff. And then behind them came rare and exotic animals. You know, they'd go to far off lands and, and they'd bring back things that, you know, most of us have seen because we've been to the Wild Kingdom Park and all that kind of stuff. But uh, they, they'd bring back stuff that nobody had ever seen before and, and they would be on display and all the people would be going, ooh and ah and all that kind of stuff. It was kind of a pretty big deal. And, and behind the, all the amazing animals came the, the arms, the, the, the weapons, and the insignias. If you went to another foreign country and you, you captured all of them, you came with their flags and, and you displayed all of that kind of stuff. And behind all the insignias and all the captured arms uh, came the captured leaders. It would be the leaders of these people that they had taken captive and their heads of the leaders of their armies and their and all the prisoners that they had taken by. They would make them march through the streets and they would do all their thing. And behind them, between between all the captives, which is an appropriate place for them to be, and the emperor came the lictors. Now, I didn't know what a lictor is. I kind of thought a lictor was somebody that you... I don't know, but that seemed like... I, did, I didn't really want that job, but, but uh, I said, what in the world's a lictor? And... A lictor were the silver, civil kind of servants who were really essentially the bodyguards of the emperor. These were like the secret service. These were the guys in plain clothes, you know, they talking into their sleeves and doing their thing. They're always got bulging jackets and whatever, and they're ready to go. The, the, that, those came between all the captives and the emperor, and then finally came, came the emperor. Now, the emperor came, I understand, on this huge chariot, a big round chariot, I'm told, with, with four white horses, and he would charge through and do this thing, and everybody would wave, and everybody's dressed up, and they're doing their thing. Now, behind the emperor came the emperor's adult sons. 
I don't know where all the girls were, but the emperor's sons were came behind them. And then came all the officers of the army, all the leaders of, of the armies and all that kind of stuff. And then behind all of that came the entire massed uh, compilation of all of the, the infantry came marching through the city. They'd march all the way through and there would be this huge, huge, huge celebration. And Paul, I mean, that's a long way to say, <clears throat> my voice is sore already thinking about this, but Paul is saying, and he's making reference to this idea, that God leads us in Triumphal, that is to say, you won, you triumphed. Triumphal celebration, processional. And not only does he do that, he says that he always does that. Now, I don't know about you, but I I read through scriptures and I, I begin to just ask questions. I'm reading along and I scratch my head going, why would he say that? Why, why would Paul say that God always leads us in triumphal procession? Because, because I know something of Paul's life, and it doesn't really make too much sense to me. If you go back just a few pages, right at the beginning, we talked about this early. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses, verse 8, it says this in just the beginning of verse 9. It says that uh, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Even so, we despaired of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Uh, This is the guy who's saying, God always leads us in triumphal procession. Uh, We're going to get to this uh, in a few months from now. But if you look the other direction, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives this description of his ministry and his life. And, 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 it, and it's pretty amazing the kind of experience that he has. This is the one that you'd all want. Sign me up. Where are all of our interns? Yes. You, you, want to, you want to follow this. This will be you. You say, oh, man, let it happen to me, right? I want to go there. But uh, not really. But this, this is how he describes what life and ministry has been like for him. He, he says this. He says, I, I, have been, I have been flogged. More severely, I've been exposed to death again and again. And then he says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. You know what 40 lashes minus one was? A good math major. It's 39. Yeah, right? 40 lashes minus one is 39. And you know why it's 39 and not 40? Because 40 was considered inhumane. I mean, they rip you to shred. How many of you saw the movie, The Passion of Christ? Five times. Five times. 39 lashes. 40 minus 1. 39 lashes. Paul says, that's my experience as a minister of the gospel. That'll make you think. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Think about Stephen, stoned to death. He was stoned, but not to death. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from the rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, danger from the... You know, you didn't want to travel in that region. I'm like, where are all the travel ads? Say, hey, come to Macedonia. It's a great place. 
No, danger everywhere, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at city, danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? This is a guy who has invested everything he has into the ministry of Christ and has experienced things that we would never, ever want to experience. And yet, somehow, he says that this God always leads us in triumphal procession. That doesn't sound like triumphal procession to me. How is that? How is that? I want to talk to you about kind of how I think he did that. You see, I think one of the important questions that we kind of need to be asking ourselves in this process as we look at the Scripture is, is say, who did Paul see himself as in this triumphal procession? Who was he? He's in the procession, but who is he? Who do you think he was? Paul says he always leads us in triumphal procession. Who is he? Let me tell me. Who do you think he was? He was captured. One of the captured. That's right. I'll just stop right there. That's it. I think Paul saw himself as one of the captives in this procession. You know, he's not the emperor. That would be Christ, I kind of think. He's not the emperor. I think he probably serves a role in some of the other positions, and I'll talk to you about that later. But but I think when he's saying this, he's seeing himself as this one who has been taken captive by Christ. Look back to some scripture with me. If you have your Bibles or you got your phones, and you can get there. You probably get there before I can. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Just, just simple word. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle and set apart for the gospel. This is a very common way that Paul identified himself. If you go through, there are probably five or six passages of books that he wrote that he started out with the same idea that said, I'm Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, or something similar to that. And the idea behind this was that Paul was not just saying, I'm a servant. Paul was saying, I'm a slave. Not only was he saying, I'm a slave, he's saying, I am a slave who has embraced his slavery for life. You see, this idea of this word is really the idea of a bondservant. And, and you know what a bondservant? A bondservant is someone who, who, had, who was in service to somebody else. And, and they said, what oftentimes was not a slave, but was just in service, was in voluntary service to somebody else. And, and they said to this person, I love who you are, I love what you are, I love what you're doing so much that I want to be your servant forever. It was a huge legal kind of thing that they did. It's like someone saying, I voluntarily want to be a slave in your household. 
One of the things they would do when they did that, they would, they would take that person and they would go to the master's house. They would go to his, this guy's house who he wanted to work for the rest of his life. And they would take him to the doorpost of this guy's house. They would stick his ear up against the wood of that doorpost. And they would take a spike. I think, hope it was the smallest one. But they would take a spike and they would drive a hole through his ear into that doorpost. That was back before piercing your ears was popular. And your nose. And your whatever. (laughs) When you saw a person like that with their ear pierced in that way, you said, this person no longer belongs to himself. He belongs to somebody else. And he has done that willingly. We talked in staff meeting about how to bring this home for you. And we thought about offering uh, a service in the back for anybody that wanted it, that we would put gauges in your ear if you, if you wanted to. But I thought it was a good idea, but my staff said, no, we can't do that. But that's who Paul was. That's how he saw himself. I can only imagine that, that he's thinking of himself in those terms as he says, he leads us in triumphal procession, and, and I'm this guy. I, I'm one of those captives. Look over a few pages or a few flips of your phone to Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, and and you hear the heart of Paul as he talks about his life and how he views himself. In Philippians chapter 1, you've got this great verse, and, and, and Paul is describing how absolutely enthralled and how absolutely committed he is to Christ. When he says in verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. Everything that he is, everything that he hopes to be, everything is him. He says, I just live for Christ. I have no other purpose, no other plan, no other strategy. I'm just living for Christ. And, and when that all comes to the end, whatever way that comes, and we, we kind of know how that came for Paul. It was not a good ending, <laughs> as we'd call good endings. When I die, it's going to be even better. That's how Paul walks through that processional. Look over another page until you get to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, and you you hear this idea of Paul, and and think about Paul, and think about this procession, and this procession is going down, and, and just think about those carts loaded with all of the treasure that had been captured. And then listen to these verses. Paul says, but whatever was to my benefit, I now consider loss. What is he talking about? He's describing his life. He says, I'm circumcised the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee as to zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, found faultness. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything as lost compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may be, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Here is Paul and he's describing all of this stuff and it's just been heaped on this cart. It no longer belongs to me. It's no longer my stuff. It now belongs to my King. 
You read through the rest of Philippians, you'll, you'll understand these words when he begins to talk about this idea, I want to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of. You'll remember the passages when he talks about, I have been taken captive. And I embrace it freely. And he lives this life that's totally given over to Christ. You hear it again when you get back into Romans chapter 12. And you hear these familiar words. And he says, because of God's grace and mercy in my life and his faithfulness to me, I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And imagine what's going on. Those, though that processional was surrounded by incense, burning incense, and the sacrifice that was given at the end, full of the scent of burning animals. And he's saying, I present myself to you, God. Have your way done with me. I begin to think that that might have something to do with why Paul could say, I'm in this triumphal procession, not because I have conquered, but because I have been conquered, and I embrace it willingly. He says some words that, that also seem funny to me. I, I, I hear these words about the aroma and I, and I wonder for myself, why is the aroma of Christ's message life to some and the smell of death to others? Well, why is that? As I mentioned in, in this processional, there, there is this sense of incense burning all around. There's all along the way and in the procession itself, there was incense burning and, and at the end, the sacrifices that were made and, and, and there is something to this, but he's saying that the message of the gospel, this message of hope and life, it's good for some and it's this most repulsive thing for others. I began to hear Paul again speak in many passages of Scripture, but you look back to First uh, Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter one, verse eighteen, begins to talk about this idea of the gospel message and and how that same message can be received by some so freely and so willingly, and by some it it, it, it just doesn't work. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, or since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. The Jews demanded miraculous signs, 
and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's describing the reality that, that this message of Christ, which is full of life and full of hope, is not received by everybody. And I think the difference goes back to the processional. It goes back to the processional because it is in our surrender to the gospel, to that surrender of the message, that we find life and hope and newness. I have a pool in my house, and, and, and I like to swim. Actually, I don't like to swim that much. I like to cool off when it's hot. My favorite thing to do in the pool is just to float. A beached whale. Well, not quite a beached whale, but a whale floaty. I enjoy that immensely. I just lay there and soak it in, and it's good, and I float. I'm going to tell you a story about my father. My father, who's not here, so he can't defend himself, and uh, and I don't think he'll listen to this, so I'm pretty free to say what I want to say. But my my father doesn't swim. In fact, my father just likes the water so much that when he takes a shower, he only showers from the neck down. He told me this. I have not observed this, but he has told me this. He said, I, I, I don't even get my face wet in the shower because I hate the water in my face that much. He does washes his hair and does all that other stuff at the sink. He just, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. He said, he said, when I swim, and I've been ever since I was a kid, I swam like a rock. I just got in the water and I sink just immediately. I know some others like that, but I won't mention any names. But, you know, they live with me. But you know what the trick about floating is? The trick about floating, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is true. The trick about floating is surrender. You have to surrender yourself to the water. You, you, have, to, you have to throw your arms out and throw your feet out and throw your head back. That's what most people can't, that's what you missed up. You've got you to throw your head back and take a deep breath of the air and hope you don't suck anything else in. Has happened too. So, but and you trust yourself in this amazing body that God has made that will float. The difference is that we get nervous and we start going, "Oh, I can't do that." And as soon as you go like that, you sink like a rock, because you will sink like a rock. But it is in the surrender that suddenly this place of fear and this suddenly this place of danger becomes, oh my goodness, this is the greatest place and thing in the world. And I kind of think that's what Paul is talking about. Because he's in this place and he's saying, you know what, I've got all this stuff going on in my life. But I have chosen Christ. I have chosen to have my ear pierced and to be his bondservant. 
I have chosen him above all personal security. I have loaded all of the stuff that I thought were my valuables and my goodies and, and all the stuff that were gained to me. I've thrown them on the cart and said, be gone. They no longer belong to me. And I've thrown myself deep into the waters of Christ with my arms out and my feet up and my head back. And I'm taking deep breaths of this amazing gospel message of grace and mercy. And in it, I have found life. That's Paul. And out of all of that, he asks one last question. He says, who is Worthy to such a task? And the answer is no one and all of us. You see, because it's all about God and His Spirit's work within us. You remember we started at the beginning and we were reading this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8, and the beginning of verse 9. He says this. Indeed, in our hearts, verse 9 says, Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Read on to our passage, and, and right after the verses where I stopped reading before, Paul begins this conversation about about. Being a workman and, and, and what kind of workman am I? And I, 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 I don't work for money and I, I don't dilute the gospel and I, and I don't spoon feed you stuff. And, and I, I'm not like those. And, 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 I, and I, don't, I don't need to write you a letter about this. He says, you are my letter, your life, the transformation that the gospel that I proclaim to you has transformed your lives. And that is my letter to you. He says in verse 4, such confidence as this is ours through Christ Jesus before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competency comes from God. It's not about him. It is about God at work in him that makes all of this happen. He continues on, verse 6, he says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's really what he's been talking about. How do I live life in the midst of all this stuff? And he says it's because of God's presence and God's Spirit and God's work in me and through me and around me. And if you want to know more about that, come next week, because next week Beverly's going to be preaching about life in the Spirit, about the passage that follows. It's going to start where I'm kind of leaving off, and it's going to go on about life in the Spirit. What does that look like? What's that like? But Paul is giving this explanation, for me anyway, about how it is that this man who had suffered so much and gone through so many difficulties in his life had taken such abuse from other people. 
could say that God always leads us in triumphal procession. How could he say that? Because he has willingly chosen to be a bondservant of Christ. He has been taken captive by Christ and his stuff is no longer his. And he lives in that moment of surrender. And that which could be the smell of death has suddenly become the smell of life. Not because he's competent, but because of God's competency. And that's the place where we live. As we close, I I just want to ask you one last question. And the question is this, is when you hear the words that God always leads us in triumphal procession, and we ask the question, who is Paul in that processional? We ought to be asking ourselves that same question. Who are we in that procession? I think it likely that we at different times in our lives are different people in that procession. But I think it all starts by identifying ourselves as being captive, bondservants. We maybe become one of God's mighty men, mighty women. We become Trumpeters and musicians in the worship team, maybe. And maybe you're a board member. I think about board members. You're the Senate. You go before this thing. I don't know. Maybe you see yourself in that cart going by and you think about all the stuff that you have surrendered to Christ. Things that were to your gain and to your benefit and to your profit. Things that were brokenness in your life that you've said, God, take it. No longer mine. Maybe you're just a foot soldier in God's great army. But this is the reality and the truth. God always leads us in triumphal procession. And it comes in embracing Christ and surrendering to his leadership in your life. That's it. Who are you in that procession? Father, into your hands do we give all that we are. Life is not easy. And there's messy stuff in us. Some of it our own choosing. Some of it thrust upon us. we have and we are having our ears pierced for you you have taken us captive and it's a good place to be
with Paul, we say, live or die. It's all good. Lord, use us as you choose. Make us mighty warriors. Make us foot soldiers. Make us musicians and joyful worshipers. Because there's a triumphal procession going on. Not based on our circumstances, but based in who you are. And we embrace it. Help us. Help us, Lord, in our brokenness to journey with you. We love you, Lord. Amen.